Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tall like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast and uh, for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. All right, so uh, I mean, it, there's I don't think there's any mystery out there how this COVID uh, nineteen pandemic has shaped up. Things are being canceled, but I mean, now we're into the reopening stages, uh, the phase ones, phase twos being planned out, uh, and however they may look. But we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And I don't really want to get into the whole talking and debating about COVID nineteen and all of that, but I want to talk about some of the things that are happening. And uh, hopefully have a nice conversation about that today with all of you. So, um, one of the big things is the UFC, uh, I think, has to get a lot of credit. Uh, They were the last major sports organization uh, to fold up shop uh, when the pandemic started. Uh, And I mean, they worked diligently to try and have events going on, to push forward and I mean, they were the first ones back and doing things as safely as they could. At, at first, there was the talk about them going on native land and I think it was California so they could bypass some jurisdictional issues. But then they said, you know, what? let's just go have the Athletic Commission oversee this. Let's do things right, which I think was greatly appreciated by everybody. And I think was kind of in a way a very strong move by the UFC in t- terms of showing like, look, we're doing this right What do we have to hide? What do we have to be afraid of? We're doing this right. We want to be throwing events. We want to be back to as normal as possible, as quickly as possible. And I give them a lot of credit there. And I mean, especially when you look at these fighters that are fighting on these cards, um, it's given some people some opportunity to earn some money. I mean, every time there's a UFC event, people are having a chance to earn some money. And in times like this, uh, you know, that that can't go understated. So a lot of credit has to be given there and how they've pulled off these events. And the crazy thing about it, too, is that, you know, having watched a number, like I, I watched the first pay-per-view back, of course. Um, that's because I, I was very interested to see how the Ferguson and Gaethje fight was going to go. Um, but after that... I mean, yeah, I've watched um, bits and pieces of the other events, tried to watch them all in their entireties, at least got into the main cards and the main events. Uh, Glover Teixeira uh, running through, um, oh God, what was his name? Uh, I want to say something Smith. I don't know why Justin Smith is jumping out at me, but I know that's not right. But uh, anyway, uh, and I I know it's not Anthony John. Anyway, uh, nonetheless... Uh, Glover Teixeira winning and so on and so forth. Uh, just been some really exciting events. Uh, Henry Cejudo beating Dominic Cruz and then retiring. I wanted to say though, is that it's not like the quality of the fights have actually gone down. As a matter of fact, the fighters are still bringing the same intensity, probably if not more in a sense, because you're not having that crowd weighing down on you. You get to focus on the task at hand, beat up your opponent get the win so i think the fights have been a superb caliber i think there hasn't been a single disappointment really in my opinion uh regarding any of the fights on the events uh so far so so far so good there 
And then uh, the other big thing too is it's helped things progress a little bit. So with Henry Cejudo beating Dominic Cruz, it puts kind of everything in a bit of a limbo. But in a sense, it kind of actually allowed the division to move forward in a in a big way. So with Henry Cejudo winning that fight, he kind of stepped away. And I, and I think it was great in his post-fight interview how he looked at Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan was uh, saying, you know, you are one of the best. And, and he grabs the mic and says, no, Joe, I am the best combat athlete of all time. He, uh, he, I mean, it would be hard to deny his credentials. Olympic gold medalist, two-time simultaneous division uh, champion in the UFC. I think it was multi-time NCAA Division I wrestler, uh, wrestling champion, national wrestling champion. Uh, defended titles in two different weight classes uh, in the UFC. Uh, he has nothing left to prove to anybody. I think he's right. Like, he was caught in a trap of... The division wasn't the most, wasn't getting necessarily the draw, and it wasn't, you know, one of the higher profile divisions. As much as he tried to bring attention and maybe raise the numbers, you know, at the end of the day, there's something to be said. Make some money, hopefully, maybe move on with your career uh, while keeping your health intact. He's a youngish guy. I think he's my age, 32. So, I mean, at 32, he's accomplished infinitely more than I have, which is, I mean, we can't let that kind of sway us as people and, and get us down. But I think that just goes to show that, you know, hard work, perseverance, uh, you can, I mean, you can really achieve some amazing things in what, in the grand scheme of it, is not really that much time. So uh, way to go, Henry Cejudo. Uh, congratulations on a phenomenal career. And um, kind of to add on to that, we have seen that the UFC has officially um, recognized his retirement. He's no longer listed uh, on the active rankings with the UFC. Uh, furthermore, they've already made a fight, um, I believe, Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo for the um, vacant bantamweight title. Now, why I say that, that we've kind of had this move forward in the division, thanks to Henry Soto, is this. Um, before this, he beat Marlon Moraes for the vacant title. Then he ended up, uh, and then after beating Marlon Moraes, who, I mean, had the controversial win over Aldo, I think it was. So people thought, you know, maybe Aldo had, I think it was. I think he beat him. I think that's who Aldo's first fight in the division was. I could be wrong. But nonetheless, Aldo had a very close loss in his division. Marlon Moraes, I think, actually was on a winning streak. I apologize. Yeah, of course he would have been to fight uh, Cejudo. But uh, Moraes lost to Cejudo, and I saw that fight by, T uh, by TKO, I think, in the second round or third round. I watched it. It was on the same uh, fight card as Ferguson and Cerrone uh, sometime last summer. Uh, moving on, though. Uh, we had... Uh, so with Cejudo doing that, then taking out Dominic Cruz, uh, who has long time kind of been the cloud of the goat of that division, to beat kind of everybody there, he kind of has cleaned out the division sufficiently enough to say, well, yeah, we could find challengers, but you've done a pretty good job of just taking out those top contenders um, that were available at the time. Uh, you know, Cody Garbrandt has maybe taken a bit of a step back in the rankings. You know, you'd like to see him get in, but... Uh, with Cejudo gone, now creates some very, very, very interesting opportunities. So by eliminating those two, what you do is you now set up the chance for interesting matchups by not bringing someone back. So by not bringing back Cruz or Marais and saying, hey, wait a second, let's now have these two fight. You're going to have a brand new champion uh, in Peter Yan or Jose Aldo. L Jose Aldo, longtime featherweight champion, arguably the greatest featherweight champion of all time in mixed martial arts. It'd be hard to 
I mean, some people might give it to Max Holloway because he beat Aldo and he beat him twice. I I don't know. I really don't know where I saw that. I mean, Aldo in his prime at his best was a world destroyer. Even when Conor McGregor was coming up, uh, I'm not going to lie, I had Aldo beating McGregor. I thought that, you know, this is where the hype train stops. And I thought this that could have been a glorious opportunity. I still do. Had Aldo have won and beaten McGregor, he could have become just next level superstar for the UFC. The interesting thing, though, is I don't think he ever would have gotten to the stardom that McGregor had prior to that win, but also that McGregor's now gone on to have, um, especially having the crossover fight with um, Mayweather. So things kind of work out in a in a way, maybe for the better um, in the big picture. But uh, nonetheless, Jose Aldo now stepping down, he'll get a title shot, um, especially now that you have those other two kind of get title shots. Let them kind of sit on the back burner, maybe see how that shapes up. And uh, move the division forward. So Peter Yan, Jose Aldo, where I imagine the winner of that fight will probably be defending against Marlon Moraes, um, seeing as how he's had more time off than Dominic Cruz. I think for Dominic Cruz, you're at a very interesting crossroads in your career. Uh, we could see that his style and his crazy footwork and all of that movement stuff, at a certain point, the novelty of that wasn't working on Henry Cejudo. I think Henry Cejudo was so high level at what he does that the gimmicky stuff wasn't really going to get too far with him. Do I think Dominic Cruz could do better in a fight? Of course I do. He got clipped. Um, you know, it, it happens. Um, Cejudo pounced. But Cejudo was winning the fight to that point. You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, Dominic Cruz was taking it to Cejudo and winning the fight. And then all of a sudden, you know, one shot and it was over. No, I would say Cejudo was comfortably in control in that fight. If you're Dominic Cruz, you have to wonder, like, okay, was that a one-off? Or is this kind of a statement of where I'm at? Maybe now that I have this awesome broadcast gig with the UFC um, doing this, do I need to get punched in the face for a living? You know, do, do I need to get beat up do i need to go through camp all of these things and as a competitor as someone who competes myself you know as a poker player i get where that competitive drive comes from i get how it's hard to shut it down i get how it's hard to step away um but sometimes stepping away can be the best thing and i mean with dominic cruz the hard thing is is how many prime years he lost due to various injuries and i think that's where you're kind of in the Dominic Cruz case in particular, have this really interesting dynamic and dilemma is yes, he has nothing left to prove to anybody. Yes, he's made a ton of money. Yes, he'll go down as one of the greatest of all time. If not, probably in my opinion, still the greatest bantamweight champion of all time. Uh, I don't think his, his, he takes a, his reputation really gets tarnished by losing to Henry Cejudo. I think in as of right now, yeah, I mean, Henry Cejudo's different level great. You know, he's transcendent great. And I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, that he it's, And to retire out on top, I have all the respect in the world for that. So good for Henry Cejudo. But Dominic Cruz, you have a guy who had his best years taken away in many ways. And yes, he would always have these long lifts, then come back and win. And as he always says, ring rust is just a mindset thing. You know, your mindset is so important. And I've long time, uh, I've, you know, long said that, um, that, you know, your mindset is super important. And then these, you know, when you hear people hiring mindset coaches, if the mindset coach is actually good and proficient, um, you know, it can be a huge benefit. 
it can be a huge benefit to just have that person there that's trying to guide you, that's helping you along, that's gearing you so that you can stay on course to do what you need to do. That's fucking awesome to have. You know, and you look at kind of your own circle around you and, and how you want that and how you try to surround yourself with people that bring that out of you. So to have a coach that does that for you and is dedicated to that, I mean, is super important. And, I, you know, as a poker player, you know, and we can go into various things, you know, a lot of business people, high level CEOs have, you know, have these kind of mindset coaches that they work with. And so it's a real thing, um, the importance of mindset. So Cruz has that. Dominic Cruz can still beat, pardon me, a lot of people. And I mean, there's a chance even he could beat a Jose Aldo, a Peter Yan, a Marlon Marais, perhaps. That, and I mean, he is in such good shape. And because he hasn't taken the damage, you know, there's that urge to be like, you know, I could still be champion. Uh, it's not like a situation with Anderson Silva, who after he kind of lost the belt and then had that horrific leg injury, there was a window there where you thought maybe he could make a comeback to the chance. Now, I mean, you're, I don't. Anderson Silva, I mean, hasn't fought in forever. But if he were to fight, and I mean, there's talk now of him potentially fighting, having a super fight with Conor McGregor. He's challenged McGregor uh, fight at 176.2 pounds. I'm imagining there's a significance to that that I'm just not aware of. It, it's probably a catch weight that um in turn so it would represent yeah so anderson would have to come down eight and a bit pounds yeah i mean i've never heard anderson complaining about a weight cut so it's interesting that he's willing to go down an additional nine pounds uh when we've seen him go up to as heavy as 205 and not look small um so it'll be interesting to see if that if they can materialize that that'd be a huge huge fight um and I think when you look at money fights, that could be something, again, down the horizon. But as I was saying about championships, though, there kind of came a window when a lot of former champions, it was just like, yeah, that window's kind of closing now. And he's kind of closed. Dominic Cruz, because of how good he is and because of how relatively elite he is still in the division, it produces a very interesting um, debate and a very interesting predicament. I think there's no need to really rush it. Um, especially uh, while we're still in pandemic mode and, and they're still trying to work out how fights are going to happen and Fight Island and all of these things. I just don't know that there's an urgency for Dominic Cruz to come back. I don't know that he has anything left to prove to anyone, so to speak. But if there is anyone who I think, uh, you know, with focus, head down, you know, plowing forward, yeah, it could be Dominic Cruz. So... I wouldn't be ready to count out Dominic Cruz yet. It's not going to be a bold prediction of mine that I make sometimes on the show when I go into those. Uh, Dominic Cruz, I don't... Um, I don't think we've seen the last of him. Let's put it that way. I, I'm not ready to bet that we've seen the last of him. Uh, but it allows this division to move forward. Um, and again, because of having those two go into it, it does allow Dominic Cruz to have that kind of flexibility now. A little bit of freedom to sit back and think, okay, wait a second... I'm two fights in that debate. Like, there's two fights that ha should, could happen before I need to step in there. All right, yeah, maybe I do stick around and, and see how this shapes up. See how the matchups look. In the meantime, he's still going to be doing the broadcasting and good on him. I mean, you know, so that that, that kind of takes care of that division. Uh, the featherweights, we have Alexander Volkov. Um, the other big division now that, was in, that has been impacted by fights that have happened... 
is none other than the lightweight division, which has always been a scary division, which has always just been tough, 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 tough. Um, I've long said it's probably one of the um, broadest range of any fighter could be a world champion. Like I've always felt like on any given, there's so many matchups there and so many roads for so many people to become champion. Um, that sometimes, yeah, it converges. Like, there's one that rises above the rest. And, yeah, in this case, right now, there's probably a few that have risen above the top. But there's always a plethora of contenders. And there's a ton of tough fights. There's a real convergence there um, uh, amongst that. Rather than that divergence that kind of happens in the other divisions where you have a contender. And sometimes you have lulls where you don't really think the contender, you know is going to beat the champ but regardless lightweight has always been a tough one and now it's interesting enough and i mean people that talk about the curse of the khabib tony fight boy does it look real i mean i think they've tried they've had to they've they've booked and canceled the fight five times i think is what they were saying um and the crazy part is, is tony ferguson decides to step up in the interim Fight for the interim lightweight belt, or as he feels, defend the interim lightweight belt um, that he had won a couple years ago against Kevin Lee uh, against the hard-hitting, tough-as-nails Justin Gaethje. And so when he does this, uh, Gaethje comes in and beats his ass and ends up, I think, TKOing him in the fifth round and is ju just punished Ferguson. Just fucking punished Ferguson. Uh, and right there, it's kind of interesting enough because I, I, you know, I've seen other reports and such where of Gaethje saying things like, you know what, I'm not going to pass up a lightweight title opportunity. Like there's, and I, and I get it for him. There is big money in being the champ, right? Even bigger money if he can be champ and get the McGregor fight. But he's already said like, look, I mean, the opportunity for the McGregor fight was there. Now I don't think so. I'm going to wait it out and and put myself in title fight position. Now that could end up in a situation where McGregor takes a different route um, circumventing Gaethje to a title fight, which then leads to maybe a unification about who knows. But again, also now creates some interesting matchups. Now you have that Gaethje versus Khabib fight. Two super strong lightweights, Gaethje with a strong wrestling background, and that ferocious knockout power. You know, so you have the power component, the probably, you know, a distinct advantage in the stand up to Gaethje, much like people felt with McGregor and Khabib, and I agree with that too. I think. Uh, McGregor on top of his game, I think his striking is too much for Khabib. But now you add in that wrestling component, that new wrestling dynamic, and you get a truly interesting, and I think what could end up being one hell of a lightweight fight between Khabib and uh, Gaethje um, right there. Uh, you also now have the opportunity for Tony versus Connor. I mean, the difference though with Connor is Connor is a much bigger draw than Tony Ferguson. And Connor, there's such that momentum wave and that momentum of the Connor McGregor business, the business of being Connor McGregor. And the UFC is very much in the Connor McGregor business that there's, you know, there, you have to be a little bit more strategic with how you utilize Connor. You know, Connor steps up, fights Anderson. He beats Anderson. Wow. Superhero, you know, back onto all of this thing, right? The rhetoric, I can just see it now, right? He's having super fight after super fight, title fights, whatever. To put him back in the lineup, though, like to kind of say, yeah, you know, let's put it, you know, especially after he beat Cerrone, to say, yeah, we're going to just have him be another fighter on the card. He's too big a draw for that. He's far too big a draw for that. And in turn, whilst 
it might look at first glance like, yes, Tony Khabib might never happen. In a sense, I don't know how much it has potentially taken Tony versus Khabib off of the books because Tony Ferguson might not be in the McGregor business yet. Whilst it's a matchup that does make sense from a pure, from a purest point of view and best, you know, the contenders fighting each other, it might not be the best business move. There might be other moves to make that have kind of Ferguson, you know, you try to gear up title fights for these guys versus Connor. You have to you try to have Connor keep winning. You have the big money, big name fights for Connor, right? So it's a very interesting dynamic there that's happened at lightweight. And I mean, as long as there's travel bans, as long as there's still this COVID-19, as long as we still have restrictions, it's purely speculation when and how this is going to shape up. But, you know, again, you have guys that need wins. A Dustin Poirier. Yes, you know, there's a lot of talk of, oh, you know, a rematch with him and Connor. I don't know that that makes sense. I don't know that that matchup brings enough to the table to get in the Conor McGregor business. And that's something to consider as well. When you look kind of at where we're going to go in the fight game, you know, when you present matchups, what does this really do? It's not as simple necessarily as just being like, oh, well, this person's next in line. Let's put them in there. It's not always that simple. It's not always that simple. Um, I mean, at middleweight, does that make sense? Absolutely, to an extent. There's still the Adesanya Jones fight that people want to see. And it's funny that John Jones, I mean, this is interesting and something to think about too. Interestingly enough, John Jones has two dangerous killer matchups lined up, but big money fights. Big, big, big money fights. And it just kind of goes to show that there is an element of, you know, you have to think business when you're doing this. He has two killer matchups in two different divisions other than light heavyweight lining up. So at light heavyweight, I mean, many people feel it's still kind of Dominic Reyes is next. I mean, there's there, there's an art, maybe a Glover Teixeira who's won a few fights down in a row, had a knockout, you know, uh, Anthony, no, was it Anthony Smith? Yes, it's Anthony Smith um, that he beat and beat the shit out of. Um I don't know that Glover Teixeira is there. I don't know that that... And that, that kind of becomes a problem too. Maybe Glover Teixeira is having a resurgence. Look at Dan Henderson towards the end of his career. Um, but Dominic Reyes seems to be the kind of consensus. All right, that would be a nut. That would be the next kind of light heavyweight fight for John Jones. I don't know that I'm big on that. And I certainly don't know that that's the best interest for John Jones. So he hear me out. The two fights in the two other weight classes are much bigger money, bigger ticket fights. Um, and even potentially three fights outside of that division when you really think about it. His biggest money fights don't even lie at light heavyweight anymore. But in a way do kind of lie with him always looming over that division and lingering over it. Right now the two that seem to be presenting themselves are Francis Ngannou and um, Israel Adesanya. Both are crazy matchups. In Francis Ngannou, he's going to be fighting a much bigger, much stronger, heavy-hitting, scary dude. In Adesanya, pardon me, he's going to be fighting... I think Adesanya is slightly younger than John Jones. I think he is a little bit younger than Jones. But a very experienced, very technically proficient, and very accomplished striker. Arguably, in my opinion right now, the best striker in the UFC and maybe 
I mean, the credentials speak for themselves. Adesanya is probably the best striker that they've ever had in the UFC. A lot, and I mean, that's a hard thing claim to make because you can say that there's other strikers up there. Um, but I think in terms of absolute widest set, uh, it, it's hard to imagine Adesanya. I mean, Adesanya's next level Anderson Silva, I think in terms of what he can do and the wide range of attacks he has. You know, Overeem, yes, was a K1 world champion. Overeem was just a monster, though. Right? I mean, in terms of the different techniques, you know, I, I just think Adesanya's up there. The only people I think in terms of pure tech might be like a Gokan Saki um, for MMA Pierce's. Uh, that might be the only person in the UFC in terms of if you spread out, if he was, I don't know if he's fought MMA in a long time, at least a few years, Tyrone Spong would be up there. But that's, that's elite level company we're talking about because those are best of the best in terms of pure kickboxing. And Adesanya might even, at pure kickboxing is up there. So it's going to be the hardest striking matchup, in my opinion, that John Jones could have. Um, either way, it's not an easy matchup. But here's how the valuation of those matchups go if you're John Jones and you want to have all of them, you want to try and maximize your value and make some money and then possibly ride off in the sunset because the just, I mean, that's a scary lineup of fights. The Nganu fight presents itself very interestingly, especially right now that we don't know what's happening with Stipe Miocic. Um, he is a frontline worker. He's a fighter fighter. And um, I think there has to be a big salute to Stipe and the work that he's doing. As they say, not all heroes wear capes. And right now, Stipe Miocic is being the hero we need and uh, significantly more than we probably deserve. So um, hats off to Stipe Miocic. And no, I do not follow the rhetoric that he should be stripped of his belt. I do not think that that is correct at all. I don't think that that is the right course of action right now at all for one Stipe Miocic and the UFC to take. I could see... So, with that moving forward, Daniel Cormier is not going to take a John Jones fight. He's not going to let his legacy get tarnished again by losing again to John Jones. I don't see too many ways in which the fights at heavyweight that present themselves are any other than Stipe and Francis. Let's say Stipe's out, and when he comes back, it is going to be DC, him versus DC. Let's just... Throw that out there that that's kind of set in stone. It is only Francis Ngannou. If he loses to Francis, people will say, well, you know what? Francis is a freak. He hits, you know, it was just, it was a matter of time. Nobody can survive that shot. You know, the whole nine yards, you're going to hear it. I mean, John Jones has taken some big licks in his career. He has taken some big shots from fighters in his career. That's a testament to his chin, but chins eventually, man, they cave. And you don't want to see it happen, especially um, against a guy as dangerous as Francis Ngannou. But if he loses to Francis Ngannou, that could be the rhetoric, that could be the spin. Francis is just that good, hits that much, that, you know, that much harder. It's just, it was too much. You know, it doesn't affect things too badly. At that point, what he can do if he loses to Francis, well, now something interesting pops up. If he looks good and loses to Francis, he goes down and he says, all right, I'll fight Reyes, I'll fight somebody at light heavyweight, beat their ass, and then reestablish my dominance, reestablish that value. I'm a fan of that. I could see that being a possible road they take. Go for it. Okay. If he beats Francis... 
do you still have to fight Israel Adesanya? I mean, if you're Adesanya, do you still want to? Do, I mean, if you're Adesanya, that I mean, yeah, you're bet you're probably that much more of a betting underdog. But fuck, is that payoff worth it? So you fire up Adesanya. You now have the next even bigger money fight with Adesanya. And then at that point, you call whatever shots you want. Adesanya would be coming up to 205. I guarantee you that. John Jones is not going down to 185, and nor should he. He has nothing to prove to anybody in terms of mixed martial arts. He is arguably the greatest ever. Um, the resume doesn't lie. The results don't lie. It's, it is what it is. Like, he is that damn good. Like, John Jones is just different planet good. All right. So now you have that. Okay. Now what? Like, now what do you do? So, at that point, do you have an interim title? If you do, you kind of can have that person defending it. So now you could have a Dominic Reyes versus a Glover Teixeira. Dominic Reyes beats him, gets the belt, whatever. But you kind of open up some more opportunities that way. You maybe have a chance to hype someone up to beat John Jones. And again, if you're John Jones, you win those two fights, you're saying, fuck it, I'm out, peace. So it is whatever it is. I don't see too many ways in which John Jones is not you know, kind of dictating his path here a little bit. He has too many fallbacks and too many paths to lead to John Jones looking good. He's in a very good spot in terms of matchups. The problem is he has to kind of clean up his act outside of the cage. But again, we kind of have this weird ideology and and, and assumption that world champion has to mean like world-class person. And I'm not saying John Jones is a bad person. I don't know John Jones. So it'd be unfair for me to comment on his character. But yeah, he gets into some trouble that's well-documented and publicly documented. But he's a world champion fist fighter. This is a guy that has chosen to become a world champion and made a living fighting. He is the youngest ever to be the best in the world at it. You know, so... To say, oh, and also we expect him to be, you know, to never get in trouble and all this. I don't know where that logic comes in. I really don't know why that has to be the tag. Now, I'm not saying it excuses his behavior or that he doesn't need to clean it up. He does. But to say that it should be innate for him to be this exemplary human being, I don't know where that necessarily comes in. So I think sometimes we have to reevaluate kind of these assumptions we make on people's characters when it comes to, well, where, where does this even come from? Why are we even coming down this road? But regardless, John Jones, very good position right now. And I, I just don't see too many ways in which he isn't calling his shots. And I mean, and the, the thing with those John, those big, 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 huge John Jones fights, you, you, you don't want to lose on the crowd revenue, right? Whether it's on Fight Island, whether it's in um, T-Mobile Arena, wherever the hell it might be, you don't want to be losing on those fights. So that's why those kind of stick to the back burner. Conor McGregor, same thing. Like, yes, it'll be a pay-per-view fight, but do you waste the Conor McGregor experience? You know, that's kind of some of these things that are going around right now. But... As I wind on the show, um, which has purely become all about MMA today, um, 
As I've said, she's the main event of every card she fights on, and therefore she is the main event of my podcast. Um, when I talk about MMA, it is none other than Amanda Nunez, the undisputed, undeniable, greatest mixed martial arts, female mixed martial arts fighter of all time, and up there as one of just the overall greatest of all time, um, Amanda fucking Nunez. Uh, this is something that does bother me a little bit. She is going to headline the next UFC pay-per-view. I get it. She'll get the pay-per-view points, all you know, the, the very lucrative pay-per-view points. On a pay-per-view that isn't really that worth buying. Like, when I look at that fight card, I am so unbelievably un- underwhelmed. It saddens me. It saddens me immensely um, to think that... Uh, she doesn't get that opportunity to shine on a big card. I mean, it would have been awesome to have her on that other one with the Ferguson and Zahuda and all of that. I mean, or do you have then, like, could you have that Aldo fight on that same card? You know, things like that to bump that pay-per-view a little bit. Like, I've long said Amanda Nunez deserves a Conor card at this point. She deserves a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. Undoubtedly, undeniably, Pardon me, Amanda Nunez deserves a big fight on a big money card. And I think, well, she did get it last year when she got it, um, when she beat, um, it was a lot, or I guess two years ago now almost, when she, when it was Cyborg who beat, um, or when she beat Chris Cyborg, she was on the John Jones, uh, Alex Gustafson fight card, I believe. So she got that there, but she deserves the Conor McGregor pay-per-view. She deserves the big money Conor McGregor ticket. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed to see that, that they would kind of throw her to the wolves a little bit promotionally, saying like, is she, you know, you guys think she's that big a star, this and that? Well, here you go. Can she carry a pay-per-view? Whilst she always deserves to be the main event, un- undoubtedly so. I do think because of where they're at promotionally, Amanda Nunez does benefit from having a couple of other draws on her fight card. And more importantly than that, her body of work deserves her to be on a bigger draw fight card. Yes, she is a big draw. Yes, she is deservedly getting the, uh, you know a headliner, all of that. But why can't she get a bump as well? Why is it, why is it a problem to say she deserves that bump as well? I mean, it's no different than saying Henry Cejudo was earned a McGregor card. He just doesn't pull in those numbers. Right, so it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It's a it's a simple reality of where those numbers lie. Henry Cejudo, if he was sticking around, he deserves a McGregor card. Henry Cejudo undoubtedly deserved a McGregor card, if not a McGregor fight. You know, Amanda Nunez deserves a McGregor card. Period. So I'm a little disappointed, but I'm hoping as COVID, as we kind of get out of this COVID thing, maybe as we start to see fans and maybe going into early next year, when you see those bigger shows, yeah, I would like to see Amanda Nunez fighting on Connor cards. I think she's earned that. I think it would be tremendous for the sport. I think that would automatically be a stack. Those two fights alone are biggest card. Those are biggest card of the year, unless, I mean, it's an Adesanya Jones fight. That might be the only fight bigger than a Conor McGregor fight right now. Unless it was maybe McGregor-Khabib, especially with McGregor coming off a big fight. McGregor, I mean, yeah, it's tough. There's just, 
John Jones Adesanya's up there. It's the only fight, in my opinion, outside of a McGregor fight that is maybe in the top 10 biggest money fights they could make right now. But that's just my opinion. But anyway, next UFC pay-per-view, as far as I understand it to be, is going to be headlined by Amanda Nunez, where she takes on a Canadian girl, um, who I'm drawing a blank on her name, and who I don't really know much about, hence why I don't know her name. Um, so I do apologize for that. But Amanda Nunez will be headlining your next UFC pay-per-view. Um, I'm going to go ahead and predict I think Amanda Nunez finishes her. I'd like to see Amanda Nunez finish her. I think it would be big. Um, but... Um, and congratulations to her, Adina Ansaroff, who uh, are expecting a child. Uh, I'm not sure what the process was there, but uh, nonetheless, Amanda Nunez and her partner, Nina Ansaroff, uh, are expecting their first child. So congratulations to them. Uh, and just it's exciting to have sports back in whatever capacity. And kind of moving forward, we'll talk about other things coming up. Uh, I know poker, there's a lot of, you know... I'm going to give my thoughts on that, the state of poker. Um, there's been a big um, story right now, uh, some some big-time allegations being laid out against um, some big-name players um, by some big-name personalities in the uh, poker world. So talking about that a little bit, and uh, nonetheless, um, maybe, the, yeah, talk about the NHL coming back. So uh, exciting stuff here coming up. Hopefully uh, you find it exciting. Hopefully you enjoy listening to me. Uh, otherwise, I don't know why. See, this is the whole thing about negativity and why it's just such a waste of time and why you can't let people who want to bring you down bring you down. If someone's going to listen to my entire podcast just to fucking shit on it or piss on it and just give me, you know, horrible review and be like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I just. What the fuck is the point of that? Like, that is purely for you then that you wanted to listen just to make yourself miserable. If I don't make you happy, don't listen. I put this out there for the people that want to listen, that enjoy my kind of verbal company, so to speak, um, for whatever time period that is, whatever the purpose might be, whether it's a drive home, whether it's while you're working out, whatever the heck it might be. Um, that's what it's for. It's for the people that want to hear it, that enjoy listening to me. If you don't want to enjoy listening to anything, that goes for things you don't like to see. If you're, you know, if you don't want to watch something, don't fucking watch it. Period. There's, there's no need to put yourself through the misery of doing something or watching something or listening to something you don't if you don't have to. If it's an optional thing, why the fuck would you choose to sit there and be like, hey, I'm going to listen to something I don't like just to shit on it when I could have just listened to something I do like. I just don't get the point of that and I, and I just think that's horribly unproductive. So people that want to do that to, that, that do that um, to others, I just don't get it. I think it's a horribly inefficient use of your time and um, and that's for them. For you out there that are creating content, that are doing your thing and people want to shit on that, the people that are shitting, that's for them. That isn't for you. That is doing nothing for you. That is not about you. Fuck it. Don't take that shit. Just, just move forward. Don't even worry about it. Don't even fucking worry about it. So... Uh, hope that hopefully there gave you a little bit of, uh, Monday motivation on this. What I believe, oh, it is, it is a Thursday. So I'm giving you Monday motivations on a Thursday. Um, that's what happens when you spend every day in your home. Uh, anyway, uh, much love to all of you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit podcast. Uh, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude, Sunny D. Take care and bye-bye for now.